All right, well, welcome back. If y'all will, grab a seat. It is time to get into our afternoon sessions, and as we do so, let me uh, just first take a moment to uh, thank Keith Palmer and Grace Bible Church for hosting this. They do such a wonderful job uh, putting this together. So many details that uh, go into to making an event like this happen, and we're so grateful to them uh, for doing that. And so big thanks to Keith and Grace Bible um, one way that you can help them as we seek to make this a little bit better each year is that uh, in the front of your folder, I believe you have a feedback form. And so if y'all would sometime uh, before you leave today, go through and, and fill that out. That'll help them. Uh, they do actually read through those. In fact, we've made a lot of really good changes over the years because of the feedback that we've gotten from you. And so if you take a moment before you leave this afternoon to do that, that'd be very Helpful, And I think also on your way out, there'll be a box where you can drop your name tag and uh, they'll have them available for you then in the weekend uh, that we meet back in October. So that would be very, very helpful. Well, I have the privilege in this hour to teach on key elements part two. And it's, it's funny because in teaching on key elements um, and seeing that Randy Patton happens to be here uh, this weekend um, really brought about a, a great sense of uh, humility and joy as I look back over uh, my years in growing in biblical counseling as a biblical counselor. Uh, we were exposed to uh, ACBC, which used to be NANC or Nancy as some called it, uh, some years ago. And one of those first exposures was in Houston, where we went down for weekends like this. And Randy Patton at the time was executive director of uh, ACBC or, or NANC at the time. And uh, my wife had gone through the certification process, and she was going up to um, get her her uh, certificate from Randy. At this point, she's, I think, eight or nine months pregnant, uh, very visible. And I remember all that, making the trip down there to to uh, finish that process. And Randy Patton was the one who handed her that certificate. And now, 16 and a half years later, uh, my daughter is in track two working on the exams, that daughter that was in her tummy then. And so just a uh, God's grace to look back and, and to see that. So grateful and so grateful for Randy Patton. Um, you will hear from him in the next two sessions. And so we're going to finish up the final key elements in this hour. And then one of the things for me personally years ago is I started looking at biblical counseling and in that first track began to get overwhelmed of, whoa, this is a lot. How do I do this? It was really that next session that Randy's going to do and showing you a video. Okay, here's how you take all this theology, and here's some of the methodology of how you can actually help people in very practical ways. And so I want to encourage you, uh, because there's a video afterwards in the next section, don't skip out. Um, but you'll want to be here because you'll be greatly encouraged by that in that time with Randy in the next two hours. So that said, let me pray for us, and then we'll get into Key Elements Part 2. Uh, Father, we are so grateful for this day that uh, we have been able to feast upon your word. Father, we thank you again even for the lunch that we've had. We thank you for your many good blessings. We thank you for this hour. We pray that you would grant us further understanding by your spirit into the truths of your word and as to how we can minister those wonderful truths of who you are and the promises that you give us to other people, even as we seek to, uh, by your spirit and by your grace, uh, to grow in these things ourselves. And so, Father, we pray that uh, you would further equip us with your word in this hour. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. 
All right, so quick test. Key elements one, two, and three. Who can tell me what they are? It's after lunch, I know, but first one is to gather data. Second one, discern the problem. Third one, build involvement. Okay. Does anyone need more coffee? <laughs> they made it as cold as they could in here for you to try to keep you alert. But, uh, okay, well, let me give you some hope then as we go forward. Keep the element number four. Give hope. Now, giving hope is essential in biblical counseling. And this is also very much essential in the very first session. And so I think it was Jay Adams a year ago, I heard him tell a story of a young man he was counseling. The guy came in, and he could tell he's particularly discouraged. And so he you know, heard him out and opened the scriptures with him and, and was very intentional on giving this young man hope. And this young man, as he's walking out from that meeting, gets to the door. He pulls out his wallet, turns around, comes back, and out of his wallet takes a razor blade and puts it on Jay Adams' desk and said, Had I not gotten some hope here, I was going home to end my life. And so very, very important um, that we give hope. And the neat thing about biblical counseling is we actually have real hope to give. And that story, that guy had looked for hope in other places and simply had not found it. But through the scriptures in Christ, he came to know true hope. And so let's take a look at hope. What is hope? A biblical definition of hope is a confident Expectation, not wishful thinking as we tend to think of hope uh, in these days, but a confident expectation based on the promises of God. Wayne Mack says true hope is a biblically based expectation of good. A uh, key verse that you might use to give somebody hope is Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. How can we abound in hope? Who is the source of that hope? It is God Himself, the God of hope, enables us by His Spirit to abound in hope. And that is certainly uh, one of the key elements that we want to um, put forth in our biblical counseling. And so, what are some specific situations of people who might need? Hope. Um, we could open it up, but it would take a long time to get all the different instances of people and situations where hope might be needed. So here's just a quick list of situations, people who might need hope. People with long-standing problems. Okay, have John 9, the man who was blind from birth, uh, was at least 30 years of age, and Jesus healed him. But he had had a, a chronic illness, if you will, so people with chronic illness. People who are in just difficult relationships. They're just a daily grind, and they're, they're worn out, they're weary. People with particularly difficult problems. And again, uh, the wonderful thing about biblical counseling, Romans 15.4, is that we have these scriptures, which were written for our instruction that through endurance through encouragement um, that we might abound in in hope Uh, going back there number three people who have been exploited misled or abused certainly they need hope biblical hope people who are plagued by fears whatever uh, whether real or imaginary need hope people who have experienced repeated disappointments people who are nearing the end of their lives right they need to know the living hope in Christ the hope uh, of the gospel, the resurrection. Uh, people 
who struggle with bouts of depression. Okay, certainly they need hope. People who have suffered great loss, people who are without Christ. Okay, they need to know the mercy of God that's made available to them in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is just a quick overview of some people, some situations that, that are going to need hope. But let's take a look at, at some of the differences in hope. A lot of people have hope, but it's a false hope. It's an empty hope. It's not a biblical hope. And you're going to encounter these people in your counseling. What are they putting their hope in? Everybody hopes in something. But what are people actually hoping in? And so an empty hope can be based upon wrong goals. Now, you might see this in a marriage counseling situation where you have a spouse who, who really knows they need help. And you have the reluctant spouse who actually comes to the counseling session, to which the other spouse is somewhat surprised. And that reluctant spouse's hope is that by coming to this counseling and going through the motions, they might get their spouse back. Or at least maybe they'll get their spouse off their back. Okay, That's not a biblical hope. That's not the kind of hope we're wanting to see. Another empty hope is based on the denial of reality. Uh, I've had people who have come for counseling. This is especially prevalent with those who would be labeled as drug addicts. Um, they don't have a problem. It's everybody else that has the problem. And, and there's a denial of reality that there really is a real problem. In fact, a good part of it is, is them. Uh, mystical or wrong thinking uh, is based on uh, bad hope, wrong hope. And so some people, in a very uh, practical sense, uh, view God as a genie in a bottle. You know, when they need something, they just like rub this bottle and here comes out God to, to give them their felt needs. Um, just a wrong view of theology. They, they believe in a, a very real sense, in a tangible way, that God exists for them, rather than they exist for God's glory. And so they've got uh, bad theology there, which is the next one. Um, and this comes in all, all forms today. Um, I had a neighbor years ago, um, very, very mystical and uh, had bad theology, and he was absolutely convinced that all roads do indeed live to or lead to heaven. And so it really doesn't matter how you live because God loves everybody, and he's going to make a way for everybody to ultimately get into heaven. Um, and so bad theology there. And so these are some things that are, that are empty hopes. So let's take a look at true hope, at biblical hope. We see first that this is a result of salvation. True biblical hope is the result of salvation. First Peter chapter 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so what kind of hope is made available in Jesus Christ? It's a, a living hope. It's a real hope. It's a true hope. And so we see this kind of hope is based upon Scripture. It's found in Scripture. Psalm 119.49, Remember your word to your servant, in which you made me hope. And so true hope is based on, it comes from the inerrant and authoritative, sufficient word of God. That is the hope that we have to offer to those that we help. It is God's very word. That end... It's also a realistic hope uh, because God promises to make some things work together for the good of those who love him, right? 
Oh, did I miss that one? I'm glad you caught that because that's really important. God makes all things. Is there hope in that? Work together for what? For the good. Now that good may not be as you see it or if you view it. That ultimate good is found in the next verse that we'll be conformed to the image of His Son. And so God uses all things to conform us more to the image of His Son. Milton Vincent wrote this, The gospel is not just one piece of good news that fits into my life somewhere among all the bad. I realize instead that the gospel makes genuinely good news out of every other aspect of my life, including my severest trials. The good news about my trials is that God is forcing them to bow to his gospel purposes and do good unto me by improving my character and making me more conformed to the image of Christ. And so there is hope in Christ. Another truth about true hope is that it's also a choice. 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope where? On your situation, on this person. No, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Christians are called to set our hope upon who Christ is and in His purposes. Is it easy to set our hope sometimes upon our financial situation, upon a particular relationship, upon a job status, upon other things? It is. Uh, But our hope is ultimately to be set upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so biblical hope is based on what we know. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you might possibly at some point bring it to completion. Right? There's not a lot of hope in that, right? But that's not what he wrote. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. How many times has God failed? Okay, is there hope? What God starts, He finishes. All right? There is hope in that God is faithful to all of His promises and nothing can thwart the purposes of God. So how do we inspire this type of a biblical hope in others? Uh, several things to consider. One, help the person grow in their relationship with Christ. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 teaches that the more we know of Christ, the more that His grace uh, and His mercy are multiplied unto us. And so we want to know more and more of Christ through this relationship with Him by abiding in in Him. And so we teach the person to think biblically. We want to teach them to teach uh, teach them to think biblically about their situation. And this is important uh, because people, if they come to you for counseling, um, oftentimes it's because they haven't been thinking biblically about a particular situation. And so, for instance, in our sex-saturated society, if someone thinks that it is okay for Christians to be involved in viewing porn, um, do we want to help them think biblically about that? Is it okay for a Christian to be involved in viewing porn? How do you know that? Scripture says, where might we take them as good biblical counselors? Oh, it's way too quiet. Oh, Matthew five twenty-eight. If you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already 
commit adultery with her in your heart. Okay? And so very, very important. We help them to think biblically about their situation, to think about it as God does. We also want them to think biblically about God's character. Uh, where might we take them in the scriptures to show them God's character? You should name off all 66 books of the Bible, right? <laughs> in particular, what are some of the most saturated places where we see God's character? The Psalms. Psalms is a great place. Yeah, they're in Exodus as well. It's all over the scriptures. We want them to know the character of God. Uh, they need to know, again, that this God is faithful that he is indeed good, that he is indeed merciful, that he's gracious, that his love is steadfast, that he's a covenant God. We want them to know these things uh, because in knowing him and looking to him, there is a hope. So we want to teach them about the character of God. Uh, listen to Lamentations chapter 3. You can open your Bibles there. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Uh, a great passage that tells us a little bit about the character of God as we think about hope um, people going through afflictions and difficulties. This is a great passage to, to camp out on with perhaps a counselee. It's Lamentations three nineteen through 24. It says, Remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall. How many of you use those terms, wormwood and gall? Okay, in Texas, that's not too common. Uh, literally, the, the bitterness and the poison of the situation. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Okay, just downcast in the midst of the affliction. And then this word, but this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new Every morning. Are you hearing these 100% words? When it's related to the character and faithfulness of God, we can use those 100% words. Every morning, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in, in Him. And again, people will usually come because their hope has been someplace else. They've, they've lost track of this great and glorious God whose mercies are new every morning, whose love is steadfast, whose faithfulness is, is great. For someone perhaps struggling uh, with a particular sin, as we think about the character of God, you might take them to 1 John. Right? God is, 1 John 1, 5, God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. And likewise, we're called to walk in the light. And so we, we teach them about God's character. So a third aspect of hope and helping them think biblically is to think about the promises of God. The promises of God. 1 Corinthians 10.13, if you've not already heard this verse this weekend, you will probably hear it and probably the next weekend, and it's one to meditate on. It's one that you will hopefully use in your own life and in counseling. But 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation... It has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. So what is the hope amidst of this temptation? It's that, not that I'm faithful, but that God 
is faithful. And so we look to him and his faithfulness, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so ultimately, Christ is the way of escape. We cling to him as the good shepherd, whether he makes us lie down in green pastures or whether we go through the valley of the shadow of death. We cling to him. He is our way of escape. In Matthew uh, chapter 11, 28 through 30, um, Jesus gives rest to the weary and burdened uh, who heed his, invita- his invitation to come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Rest And so there's hope for the discouraged. There's hope for the weary. There's hope for the lost in coming to Jesus. Uh, Keith Palmer, several years ago, made this statement, and it's really, really good. Um, a skilled counselor can take a counselee from any issue to Christ. And that is what we seek to do in biblical counseling. Through the Bible, what does the Bible ultimately point us towards? The person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we understand their issue, we want them to understand who Christ is in light of their issue. And we want them to cling to him and what he has done for them at the cross, the forgiveness that's there. And also that even now he is their high priest, he is their advocate. And in him there is hope for whatever their situation may be. So we want to point them to Christ. We also want to help them think about their situation um, concerning the possibility for good, right? We all know the story of Joseph. Uh, boy, he was thrown into the, to the pit, was sold into slavery, was falsely accused, was in jail for years, and in the midst of that, seemed to have trusted God. And what do we see at the very end? Genesis 50, verse 20. It says to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Okay, And so we inspire hope by helping people see you may not understand right now exactly what's going on. In fact, you may not fully understand this in this lifetime, but that's okay. Does it change the fact that God is good? And so will you trust him through this, knowing that he will bring about ultimate good through this situation? We see this with Paul uh, in, in Philippians. Paul's where? Because he's proclaimed the gospel. He's in prison. And is he pouting and having a big pity party and complaining? No, joy, rejoicing is what characterized Philippians, right? And so he's joyous because he knows that his imprisonment is going to only serve to advance the gospel. And certainly by the end of the chapter, that's what we see. Apparently some of those in the imperial guard had come to know Christ. They were chained to this gospel-proclaiming guy. And so in the midst of his imprisonment, he's making much of Christ. And so we want to uh, point others to Christ in that way and encourage them to cling to him. We also inspire hope by teaching people to think biblically about their divine resources in Christ. So you can turn to Second Peter 1, 3 through 4, another great passage that uh, maybe has already been covered this weekend. Um, in Christ, um, if he is truly our Lord and Savior... Um, then there is great hope for any situation as we look to him and what he has provided for us. Second Peter 1, 3, and 4, his divine power has granted to us. Okay, Past tense, present implications. In Christ, his divine power, God's divine power. Now, divine, think about that. Infinite, unlimited. His divine power has granted to us, his children, all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so Christ has given us everything that we need in this life in order to live for his glory. Okay, and that's such an important truth to understand in that there is so much hope. All right, we need to also teach them to think biblically about the nature and cause of the problem. The nature and cause of the problem. And so we saw in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, um, temptations and heart issues are, are universal, right? Temptations are universal. Heart issues are universal. We all struggle with them. The problem usually isn't what's outside of us. The problem oftentimes is what is inside of us, right? How many people, we'll get to this another weekend, how many people have the ability to make you angry? Do they really have that kind of power? Or did you get angry because of something you wanted and didn't get or something you didn't want and you got? Okay, so again, we need to view our situations biblically. And so we consider the nature of... Um, and cause of the problem from a biblical lens. And so these are are just six ways in which we can inspire hope in others um, to no longer look to their finite resources, but to look to God and His infinite resources, His immeasurable blessings that are available to them in Christ Jesus. All right, a second way we can inspire hope is being solutions-oriented. It's according to Ephesians 22 through 32. Uh, we want to help them put off their former manner of life. Renew their minds in light of the scriptures and put on true righteousness. So that, as you look at Ephesians 4.32, they might be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you, has forgiven us. And so we want to be solutions-oriented. We want to help them understand how to get from point A to point B. Right now, you may be struggling with, with bitterness in this relationship. Okay, so again, Ephesians 4, 22 to 32 addresses that. What do we need to put off? What do we need to put on? And we need to help them um, learn to get from point A to point P as they look to Christ. And so be solutions-oriented. We need to be an example to them, even as we do that. It's interesting, Paul, uh, in Philippians, uh, he talks about not being anxious, setting our minds on things above, and uh, and then in Philippians 4, 9, he says, these things that you have heard from me, received from me, um, put these things into practice. And as we think about um, Paul, uh, how many of us could say what Paul said? I've, I've taught you. I've lived by the word of God. And so as you follow me, you're following Christ. And that's what we want to exemplify to our counselees. We want to be living for Christ ourselves, but also we want to help them see specifically what does it look like to live for Christ in the midst of, of this difficulty, this strained relationship, this job situation, this struggle with whatever this sin may be. We want to open the Word of God and help them to see the hope that's found in being solutions-oriented. I also want to tell the person, uh, as appropriate, how long uh, you might expect to, to work with them. So typically, if a marriage situation comes in, both people are at least somewhat willing to, to work on the marriage. So what is it now? Um, end of September? 
I might say something to them. If, if, if you will submit yourselves to the Lord, if you will seek to glorify God and you're part of this relationship, uh, then it is very likely by the time you get to Thanksgiving, you're going to be able to look back and have a whole lot to be thankful for in, in the grace that you have seen in transforming your life. Um, and so sometimes might give them a time frame. You know, we may be looking at three or four meetings if it's something simple, maybe eight to 12. But a lot of it will depend upon them and how seriously they're willing to, to look to God's word and to entrust themselves uh, to God according to the scriptures. Might also use discernment in who you address first. And so in marriage, let's say a couple comes to you for help. The husband has been a very passive leader and the wife is very bitter. As a general principle, who might you address first? I'm hearing the wife, ladies first. Sounds great. Now it's the husband. Okay, why might we address the husband first? Ah, okay. Who has the most responsibility before God in that marriage? The husband. <laughs> the husband. They're both held responsible before God. But in that particular situation, again, you want to gather data, as we talked about in the first session. You know, you want to use discernment. But oftentimes, it is it is a husband. In fact, I can remember back years ago, um, had a couple come in. The husband came along just to be a good husband, but really it's a wife who had all the issues, and she's the one that really wanted the counseling. She was despairing, just a difficult situation. It was a passive husband. And as I asked questions and gathered data, though the counseling was for her, I began to realize this really has a lot more to do with him and his lack of leadership than it does with her, though there were definitely issues there. And so um, I heard from both of them, encouraged both of them, gave them some scriptures to consider, and asked both of them, you know, just go home and ask the Lord to examine your heart in light of these passages and just write out the areas in which you know God would have you grow and change. And I think it was the second session, the guy comes back and he's got not just a couple of things. He's got three pages, college-ruled paper, of his sins and his failures in their marriage relationship. And what happened, that was the quickest marriage counseling I think I've ever had. Uh, I think three or four sessions and we were done. Because he saw his responsibility biblically. He repented of his lack of, of being a biblical husband. Therefore, a lot of her reason, so to speak, to have resentment faded away and were rejoicing. She still had her own things she needed to work on. But they both looked to God and they both honored God. And so using discernment and who to address first um, is really important in a situation, you know, especially in a situation where there may be some kind of abuse. Um, you know, if, if the environment's not safe, you can't counsel a dead counselee, right? And so if there's a safety issue, then obviously that becomes priority in who you address first and who you get the most help for first. And that's a more complicated situation. But uh, another consideration here is follow the iceberg principle. Okay? What happens if you, and you've probably never done this in Texas, but uh, what were to happen if we had an iceberg in Texas and you chopped off the top of that iceberg? What's the iceberg going to do? It's going to come up a little bit more. Okay? And so in following the iceberg principle, what that means is when they come in for counseling, sometimes they're not willing just to spill everything in front of you. They're going to give you something, in part maybe to test you and see what you do with this, but if you will deal with that biblically and lovingly, 
and help them see the sufficiency and authority of God's Word in that, then sometimes some of those other issues will come up and they'll allow you to help them with that as well. Or sometimes they just don't even know how to articulate what's really going on. And as you deal with what you can, then more of it becomes um, evident in the course of time. So deal with what's presented before you. Another aspect of inspiring hope is to give homework. Um, Giving homework establishes biblical hope. Uh, as you help them look to the gospel. And so a couple of resources I think I put in your notes there that are just good things in uh, inspiring hope, helping people look to the Lord in very concrete ways. Uh, the manual by um, Wayne Mack, a homework manual for biblical living. Um, those are in the Resource Center. There's three volumes of that, of uh, homework assignments basically related to most common temptations, issues of life. Another one that I'll give sometimes is a gospel primer. Uh, we're to be compelled by the love of Christ in what we do. If that's a totally foreign concept, or maybe they're not in Christ, I want them to think about the gospel. I'll give them a gospel primer by Milton Vincent, and we'll work through some of that together. Another good one is something on the attributes of God. Uh, they need to know who God is, for who God has revealed himself to be. Not the God that perhaps they've created in their own mind, but they need to know the God of the Bible. And so sometimes just to know that, that God is indeed good, that he is indeed faithful. That he is just. Um, those things have huge ramifications on, on how we live because we live out of our doctrine. We live out of what we believe. And so the more we know of God, the more that we want to worship him and, and serve him. And so a great little devotional book on the attributes of God is by Mark Jones. God is a devotional guide to the attributes. Um, excellent resource. So these are just some of the things um, that we can consider as we give hope. So that's the fourth key element. All right. Ready for number five? Okay, give proper instruction. Give proper instruction. And so if you remember in 2 Corinthians 5.9, Paul writes, We make it our ambition to please Him, to please God, to please God in Christ. And so in counseling, it is our ambition to properly handle the Word of God, um, to help other people know this God more fully and what it means to, to live for Him. And so our instruction must be obvious, right? Or biblical counseling, it must be Biblical it means it must be from the Bible, from the scriptures, not necessarily the, the wisdom of man. And so it must be based on the Bible. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete or competent, equipped for every good work. And so because of the inspiration, sufficiency of God's word, um, we can say with confidence to our counselees that the future can be very much different than your past. As you build your house, you build your life upon the rock, God's word, um, then by the grace of God, it will stand. And so we instruct them through the scriptures. In doing so, we might consider developing a topical notebook, um, investing in some good biblical resources, um, and then one thing you can do as you're reading through the scriptures for yourself and, and maybe you're working with somebody struggling with anxiety is just to write down in the back of your Bible or get a notebook and verses that deal with anxiety, who God is in the midst of anxiety. Uh, lots of good resources now. We've tried to provide some of the best in the resource center there. Uh, but lots of good resources to help you think biblically about particular issues. How does the Bible address these particular issues? There's lots. You can go to Amazon and you can put in a topic and you can get lots of stuff. The problem is most of that stuff's not going to be 
biblical. And so we want to make sure that what we're reading is actually biblical. It's biblical in its foundation and its methodology. All right, so good resources there. A couple of places I would encourage you to go to on a regular basis. One, this conference, um, the cbcd.org. All sorts of blogs, podcasts, everything from this weekend will eventually be on there. Free download. And so Keith Palmer and the church, uh, the organization, has uh, done such a good job to try to get the best biblical resources available to the most people for free. And so you can go on there and, and access that. It's thethecbcd.org, a great resource for, for biblical resources. All right, another aspect of instruction to be biblical, uh, not mixed with worldly wisdom. Colossians 2.8 warns, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. An example of that. Just recently, very recently, um, this happened repeatedly. You have a wife who's got a problem with her husband who um, is a narcissist. Does that ring a bell? That's kind of common label these days. I had to look it up the first time. Well, the problem with labeling your husband a narcissist and following the Internet solutions on how to deal with a narcissist is there really is no reconciliation. There really is no hope for true change. It takes a worldly label and runs with it in a worldly way. If you look in the concordance of your Bible, do you see a narcissist anywhere? So what do you have to offer that situation? But in, in essence, what is a narcissist? Yeah, it's somebody who struggles with pride. Now, you look up pride in the Scripture. Are you going to be able to help that person with the Bible? Yeah. And so, again, we want to make sure we label things biblically and we deal with them biblically. Because if you take the world's labels to things you're just going to wind up being more divisive, more likely, and, and cause problems rather than bring reconciliation. And so make sure whatever they're talking about, you identify it through the Scriptures and you help them then with the Scriptures. You know, we need to be like uh, faithful and Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. When they went through Vanity Fair uh, and all the things of the world, the philosophies, the goods of the worlds were trying to be forced upon them, what was their resolve? It said, we buy only... The truth. We buy only the truth. And we need to be that way as biblical counselors, making sure we're like the Bereans, that we test everything according to the scriptures. Is this biblical? Is this what God's word intends? And make sure that's what we're holding out to those that we help. All right, another aspect of instruction is it must be accurate. So let's consider four criteria here of whether it is accurate. One, know the meaning of important Bible words. Okay, and so maybe you've got a new believer, uh, maybe you've got somebody that's not even yet a believer and you're just sharing the gospel with them. Uh, but let's say we have a new believer and they're reading through the scriptures and uh, we need to make sure that they know what we're saying. And so, for instance, um, you talk about hope. <clears throat> Are you going to need to define hope? Because they're probably going to think, oh, well, maybe this will work out. Wishful thinking. I hope this will work out. That's not what we mean when we talk about hope, Right. It's a confident expectation based on the promises of God. And so we need to make sure we define uh, biblical words that they understand that. Um, Forgiveness. How important is it to understand biblical forgiveness? 
Very important. In fact, it's so important, I'm not going to tell you about it today. I'm going to let you come back next weekend, and we're going to spend a lot of time dealing with biblical forgiveness. Okay, so we need to define forgiveness. What's meant by that? I'm sorry. Is that forgiveness? Or that's just an acknowledgement that you're sorry. That doesn't really do anything but acknowledge that somehow you fell a little bit short, perhaps in some way. Okay, and so we need to define things biblically and help them understand that. Another part of instruction um, is that it must uh, properly interpret passages in their context, both the immediate as well as the larger context. And so this is where we have to do some studying, right? Second Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Okay, and this is so important. I hope someday, wouldn't it be nice if, if technology got to the degree that, that you could just take the Bible and somehow you could just stick it next to your head and like airdrop? Not only into your head, but into your, to your heart in the sense that you would just live righteously. That would be great, but that's not going to happen. So in the meantime, we've got the Word of God, and we actually have to study it. We have to prayerfully seek to live according to it. All right. Another component instruction must be um, accurate in doing so. It contains instruction for both putting off and putting on. Again, going back to Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, putting off the former manner of life, renewing our minds according to the Word, and learning to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. It also must clearly differentiate between God's directives and man's suggestions. Okay, so if somebody comes to you for counseling, let's say it's a husband, um, he wants to be a better husband. Uh, we can open up Ephesians chapter 5.25, says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ of the church. Can you tell a husband you are called to love your wife as Christ of the church? If you don't, you're sinning. Can we do that? Okay, and we want to lovingly help them understand what that looks like. But can we tell a husband, you must go home and you must give your wife three hours on a Saturday afternoon without the kids? Okay, might that be a way in which a husband can love his wife? But can we elevate that to the point of exactly what Scripture has said? And so we need to be careful to not make suggestions or preferences or a view of how things ought to be done equal with what Scripture actually commands. And so in different situations for a husband to love his wife, it might look a little bit different to live with her in an understanding way um, compared to another husband with his wife. But the calling is the same. All husbands are called, commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And again... Uh, help them understand the implications of that, encourage them in the application of that. But we have to be careful not to elevate um, preferences or directives um, to the absolute authority of, of Scripture. Next, instruction must be appropriate. And so three ways to evaluate that. Um, it needs to be appropriate to the counselee's problems. And we need to uh, be careful not to simply use our favorite Bible verses on everybody that comes to us for help, all right? So maybe it's do not be anxious, uh, but maybe their real issue isn't anxiety. Maybe it's, it's something else. And so we want to make sure that we, again, gather data, hear them well, discern the problem, and then address that problem uh, appropriately according to Scripture. It also needs to be appropriate to the counselee's spiritual condition. Very, very important. One of the things we want to discern in counseling, especially in a first session as we're gathering data, where does this person stand before God? 
Is this person a believer? Is this person saved? Does he or she embrace the gospel? Um, and again, a way we can do that that I pretty much always do in almost every first session is I'll ask him the two EE questions. If you were to die today, do you believe you'd go to heaven? Almost all of them say yes. Follow-up question. If you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you tell him? That's a big question. It's because, well, basically I'm a pretty good guy. Or I'm, I'm not as bad as my spouse. Or look at all the good that I've done. Or God's just a loving God. He's going to just let me in. Okay, what is their answer? If their answer isn't Christ alone, clinging to who he is, then we need to probe a little bit more to understand their understanding of the gospel. And so where do they stand with Christ? Also, are they saved, unsaved? Are they a a babe in Christ or are they mature in Christ? Um, Do they know how to find a book of the Bible, Uh, even as a new believer? If they're mature in Christ, they probably read it a lot and they do. But where are they in their spiritual maturity? Another important thing to, to consider as we counsel others um, is are they rebellious, weak, or faint-hearted? And so 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul makes it clear that we don't treat everyone the same in counseling. Right? You have some people who come to counseling, and they're there primarily because of their own sin, and it is grievous, and they obviously need help learning how to repent and look to Christ in the midst of their sin. Other people may come, though, because perhaps the sin of someone else against them. Uh, they're just suffering, or maybe it's chronic illness. And so again, we need to know where they're at, um, where they ultimately need help. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, those who are unruly, those who are apathetic to God's calling, those who are disruptive. What do we do with them? Primarily, we warn them. Okay, We admonish them. He goes on to say, encourage the disheartened. Okay, that may be those who are perhaps in a difficult relationship. Uh, help the weak. Um, they want to do what's right, but they're, they're just worn out. Uh, maybe they're of, of little faith at this point. And then this catch-all phrase at the end, regardless of whether that person needs to be admonished, whether they need to be encouraged, whether they need to be helped, this phrase, be patient with everyone. And that's so important in counseling. As you're seeking to help others, we need to remember how patient God is with us. They may not change at the pace that you would like to see them change. They may not be growing in godliness in the way that you would want to. But stop and think, wait a second. How, how rapidly am I growing in my own sanctification? How much am I trusting God and seeking to become more like Christ in my own life? And aren't I gr- glad that, that God is so patient with me? And likewise, we're called to be patient with all, with all those categories. The third instruction must be appropriate, appropriate to the counselee's learning ability. Uh, and this can be important as well. Um, I've had people that I've given a homework assignment to, to read something fairly simple, and it just wasn't getting done. And come to find out, they were basically illiterate. Um, and so that's important. And if you have a PDI, their, their uh, personal data inventory form, they fill out for the come to Formal counseling you know, usually has a level of education. If they don't even have a high school education, that's something to keep in mind. It may be they, they read really well, or it may be that, that they don't. And so you don't want to give them a bunch of stuff to read, or it's just not going to get done. Uh, maybe you give them something to listen to or somebody to interact with. And so be aware of, of just where there are simple things like that, but those are important. Um, 
appropriate to the, the counselee's learning ability. And so if you're working with you know, children, for instance, uh, probably pulling out Calvin's Institutes and trying to teach from that is not going to be, it's not going to go very far. But if they're, they need to learn how to honor their parent, uh, then you might take them to Paul or Ted Tripp's little circle of blessing illustration, where you explain Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3 with the circle of blessing, which we'll get to in, in the parenting track next weekend. Um, and so just be aware of, of who you're working with. Make sure that, that it's beneficial and appropriate to their learning ability. And obviously with that, um, if they're not a believer... Are they going to understand the scriptures? I mean, sometimes somebody may have a profession, but in the course of time, it becomes apparent maybe they're not actually in Christ, because this is just not making any sense to them whatsoever. It is foolishness to them. They just aren't getting it. They're not able to understand it. And so again, we need to go back to the gospel uh, with them. Okay, sixth key element. We've got plenty of time. Assign homework. Sign homework. Now, that doesn't sound very loving, does it? I mean, how many of you graduated from high school? Yeah, and, and how would you like to have somebody assign to you homework now that you're graduated from high school? Because you're done with that, right? And so if you don't like that phrase, assign homework, think of it as growth projects. <laughs> just, just redo the terminology, and that sounds a little more you know, exciting. Assign homework. Uh, rationale for assigning homework. Why would we want to give somebody, I mean, they just listened to us, we interacted for a whole hour in counseling, right? Why would we give them something to do before we see them again? So here's some rationale for that. One, the biblical emphasis on doing. Okay, as we think through Matthew 7, 24 and 25, um, the one who not only hears the word of God, but does it, is like the man who builds his house upon the rock, right? And that house is the one who stands. Unlike the, the man who built his house upon the sand, he heard, but he did not do. He, he did not build his life upon the sufficiency and authority of the scriptures. James one twenty two says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And so God doesn't save us so that we can live life for ourselves, but rather that we would live our life for Him according to His Word. And so homework helps them to understand practically what they need to do, specific steps they can take this week to glorify God in light of whatever they are struggling with. Second, homework brings hope and anticipation of change from the outset. And so usually, uh, by the time people come for counseling, formal counseling, they're wanting help, right? That's usually why they're there. And, and they need to know specifically um, what they can do um, to, to trust in Christ and to, to honor Him. So Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so I like to garden a little bit. Um, and so if I put a, a bean seed in the ground, <clears throat> what should I expect to come up? You guys are really smart. You're still on it. Don't even need coffee. All right. And so likewise in our lives, if we sow more seeds, should we expect more crops? Yeah. And as we sow more of the word of God into our lives and we meditate upon that, do you think maybe there'll be a little more righteousness by the grace of God as we depend upon him? Yeah, and so we want to encourage them during the week, saturate yourself with the Word of God. 
and, and prayerfully ask that he would give you the grace to, to grow in these, these areas. And so we want them to be doers of the word, and we see that change take place in the course of time. Three, giving homework puts responsibility for change on the counselee. And so we've helped them understand their problems biblically. We've given them what the scripture says about that, what they need to do. And then you give them very specifically, according to the scriptures, um, what they can work on this week. Well, if they come back and they're not any more like Christ, is it your fault or their fault? Yeah, you, you gave them God's word, God's will for their situation. If they didn't do that and take that seriously, then there's not really any growth or change there. And so it gives them specific ways in knowing how to, to change. And ultimately, we don't want them to become dependent, more dependent upon us, right? We don't want our counselees to become overly dependent upon us. We want them to be dependent upon who? Christ, upon God and his, his word. And giving them the scriptures helps them to do that. Psalm 9, verse 10 says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And so we want them to seek the Lord throughout the week through the homework that we have given them to direct them in that. Fourth, we give homework because talk alone is counterproductive to lasting biblical change. And so if somebody comes to you, um, and they pour out their, their heart and their difficulties to you. And uh, you know they're highly emotional. And all you do is, is talk to them. And you speak biblical truths to them for a little bit. But uh, you know they go home and they've pretty much forgotten what you said. And uh, they continue in the patterns that they've been in before. And they come back for counseling. And the same thing happens over and over again. And they say, well, counseling didn't work. Right, And so they're kind of blaming it on you or biblical counseling. It didn't work. Is it really that the scriptures that weren't sufficient? <clears throat> or is it that they weren't taking the steps they needed to take and learning to trust God according to his word? And so, again, giving them homework um, leads to biblical change. Also, likewise, it aids in the transformation process. We help them learn specifically, according to the Bible, what needs to be put off <clears throat> and also how to renew their minds and then also what needs to be put on, how they need to live. And last, it assists in quickly discovering who is serious about changing and who is not. <clears throat> and so if uh, someone, I've had this happen, comes to my office and there's, there's much sorrow over their situation, and as it turned out, in this situation is a worldly sorrow, um, there's lots of tears shed, and I gave them what the scriptures say in light of their situation, encouraged them to go read this and prayerfully seek to apply this. Uh, but they came back, and basically their dog ate the homework. Okay, you, you re-explain again, you give them something similar, and they come back, and this time the donkey ate the homework. Okay, In other words, there's always an excuse. It's just not important. In other words, they're not really serious about looking to the Lord and, and growing in those areas. And so this can be... Uh, helpful, especially in, in working with multiple people, um, kind of see who's um, <clears throat> really seeking to honor the Lord and who's not, and then you, you counsel each individual accordingly in the midst of that. All right, so those are just some of the reasons to give homework. Now, here's some considerations and how we might actually give homework. So, number one, begin with your first session. 
if you're doing formal counseling or even informal counseling, you might encourage a friend to go home and, you know, why don't you consider this passage and pray through this and let's come back next week and talk about, you know, the main things you learned about God and, and yourself and your situation in light of this passage. But give them homework from the, the first session. Uh, this gets them moving in the right direction right away. Second, you can use carbonless duplicate, uh, duplicate paper to record the homework. And so if you're meeting with somebody, <clears throat> and uh, I usually keep this in my Bible and have a whole stack of these in counseling rooms, but this is actually not just duplicate. There's three copies. And so if I'm dealing with a couple, I can keep a copy. Each spouse has a copy. We all know what everybody has. I don't have to write it one time. It's, it's ingenious. And so you might give them um, this and you write it down. That way they know exactly what we're going to do between now and the next week. Now, there are many situations in counseling where maybe you know we were just running long or I need some time to process what they just told me and actually pray about this and, and develop a biblical game plan to help them. And so I'll let them know rather than giving them something to take home right away, you know, let me email you, you know, by tomorrow. Let me pray through this and think through this. But give them something specific um, that they can they can work on during the week and that you can then use next week. And so that is the next step. Be specific. Uh, you're going to hear Randy Patton say probably in the next hour or two, um, people do not change in fuzzy land. People change with specifics. Okay? And so they need to know um, specifically uh, the sufficiency of the scriptures in light of their situation and what they can do this week. Another example of what you might uh, do with that and this will be probably in the next hour or two as well. But there's a lot of really good pamphlets now. <clears throat> this is one, what to do when your marriage goes sour. And so this might be something that if a couple is coming in for marriage, uh, I might hand this to them, ask them to read through this, go back through, read through it again, and maybe highlight the top five or ten insights um, that would really um, stick out that, that minister to you in light of your situation you can identify with. That does a couple things. One, it helps them think through their situation, identify things biblically. Also, it helps me know exactly where they're struggling as a counselor. So I'm gathering more data so I know how to better come alongside of them. And so very specific things to have them work on. Another thing we want to make sure we do with the homework is to address their thinking or their heart as well as the behavior. Uh, we want to address both uh, because both are important. Obviously, our behavior overflows from our heart. But sometimes there, there's behaviors that really do need to be addressed because they're causing a lot of issues in other people's lives. And so we need to address the behaviors, but also the heart from which those behaviors come from. And fifth, review and discuss homework at the following sessions. And so if you give somebody a good homework session, uh, you basically have your agenda to get started with in the next time that you meet and going over what you have given them to think through. All right. So we're going to have to speed it up here a little bit. So let's think through um, some of the things that uh, you consider including in the homework. So one might be selected scripture reading. And so I would give them, um, if they're not in the Word at all, some people already have a Bible reading program, that's great. But I'm going to give something that will help them better understand God in light of their struggle, their situation, better understand how to live for God in light of their struggle, their situation, and to give them Scripture that they can meditate upon the week related, uh, related to why they came. And so also relevant Scripture memory. Now this is important. How can a young man keep his way pure? 
by living according to your word. Uh, uh, I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your command. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so we want to give them um, relevant scripture related to their struggles that they can begin to renew their mind and seek to live out on a regular basis. And so this is sometimes in the first session challenging because especially as people get older, we tend to think that we can't do that, right? Um, but, but you can. In fact, somebody used the illustration years ago that if I were to give you $1,000 for every verse you memorize between now and next week, how many verses do you think you could get? You know, that one simple verse that they just can't get might turn into, I mean, it'd be a whole lot for me. <laughs> I don't know, right? And so it's not necessarily, and Randy said this, it's not a matter of interest or intellect so much as it is of interest, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We want them to treasure up God's word in their heart. And so you can give them three by five verse cards. Um, there's memory verse systems. There's apps now. There's all sorts of tools to help them facilitate memory. Maybe you have them put a three by five verse card next to the mirror so when they're shaving or brushing their teeth. Or if you're on the brave side, I don't really recommend this, but when I go mountain biking, I have verses on my handlebars. And so when I'm not flying through the air, dodging a tree or whatever else, I can memorize scripture, right? <laughs> good use of time. Dangerous use of time, but a good use of time. All right. Appropriate reading material that explains biblical principles pertinent to the problem. That might be one of those little pamphlets, something to help them more fully understand their struggle, the situation, and what scriptures have to say. Doing that points the person towards Christ-like conduct, Okay, helping them live out the scripture. So again, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and tender-hearted. What does it mean to be kind? What would it mean to be tender-hearted in this relationship? Okay, let's, let's write out what that would actually look like, and then let's do it this week. Five, very important, church attendance and note-taking regarding the lesson, sermon, and its application to their life. As a part of the homework, we want them utilizing the regular means of grace that God has given them. Okay, one, if they're not in a church, we want to help get them connected to a solid biblical church. Uh, but also, we want them to be hearing, and not only be hearers of the word, but also doers. So take sermon notes, discuss it with, with somebody else, and, and commit by God's grace to make at least one application, one truth to believe, one thing you can do this week in light of what you've heard. And then six, prayer. Uh, we want to encourage them, First Thessalonians 5.17, to pray without ceasing. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, uh, to pray in everything, do not be anxious, but in everything by prayer. We want to encourage them to pray through these scriptures. All right, so if we're assigning these types of of things, um, as we gather the data, we discern the problem, we understand more of where they're at, how to help them look to Christ, we give them these things to take home, to work on through the week. Um, Do you think that they're going to grow and change if they're looking to Christ? They've got what they need, right? What did Jesus pray for his disciples in John 17, 17? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And that's why we give them homework. Because we want them to be sanctified. We want them to look like Christ and to depend upon him in the truths of his word. All right, there's a few resources there at the end, some good resources you might consider um, in instruction and homework. A really helpful tool that I put in there, that very last one on the screen here and in your notes, is by Simply Charlotte Mason. This is like a recipe box. It's a, a tool for memorizing scripture where you 
have at first one that you memorize daily. Once you get it, it goes to every other day. Then it goes into day of the week. And then after that, when you've got it down really good, you put it in day of the month. And that way, each day, you're working on a new verse. You're renewing one you just, reviewing one you just learned. And you're going through um, five or six verses in a day. It doesn't take very long. But if you do that faithfully in the course of time, my kids have a whole recipe box full of scripture memory just because we take a few minutes at breakfast every day. So again, a simple way to treasure up God's word. We want to encourage them to do that. All right. And there's some resources as well um, related to today's subject that will be helpful. Well, let me pray for us as we're out of time. Father, we do thank you that you have granted us your word. We thank you that it is sufficient. Father, help us to treasure it up in our own hearts. Let your word dwell richly within us, that we may be able to teach and instruct to encourage others with it accordingly. Father, I thank you for each of these here. I pray, Lord, that you would help them first and foremost to seek to honor you according to your word, and then also to help their brothers and sisters in Christ to do the same. I thank you for their desire to do so. And Father, we pray now that you would bless our conversations. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.